Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Welcome to Money Talk, the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a proud member of the Barron's Top Advisor List and the Financial Times Top 300 List know the difference now here are your hosts dave spano and mark oswald know the difference it's team tech trust welcome to money talk for saturday june 15th i'm dave spano joining me as usual is mark oswald good morning mark good morning there was uh, some excitement if you will in the straits of hermuth this week that's <laughs> always something going on in the middle east and and it had an impact on the markets couple of up days, a couple of down days in the market this week. Pretty much a smooth ride. But when you start thinking about the oil supply in the world, you start thinking about a very, very thin strip of water that runs between the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. I mean, it's pretty thin, right? It's 36 miles at its, at its narrowest point. And you start thinking about ships, big, big ships that are coming in and out of that strait that are bringing about 30% of the world's oil and natural gas, liquefied natural gas, to the Western Hemisphere. And, of course, we had a couple of ships that were either hit a mine or perhaps a torpedo. It's being blamed on Tehran, and you start thinking about what's going on there. Is it going to be something that escalates into a bigger deal where we start to see an interruption in the supply of oil to the Western Hemisphere? That would have an impact on the economy. There's no question. And, you know, you talk about uh, what happened, and oil did spike up a 7% or so uh, this week. And, and, you know, we did talk about what we think uh, could be problems going down the road. And probably a month ago, you know, we talked about the Abraham Lincoln, the flat top that moved into the area and all the supporting ships and a number of B-52s. So there certainly was a show of force. And of course, Iran did what they did supposedly. And, and what are they trying to accomplish by, by this action? Well, they're trying to get away from the uh, economic sanctions that have been imposed on them because of their denuclearization or, or failure to denuclearize their program in that country. You start thinking about what's on the other side of that strait. On the Persian Gulf, you've got Saudi Arabia, you've got uh, Kuwait, you've got Iran, you've got Iraq. I mean, you're talking about the world's largest oil producers, and never mind the fact that Russia also sends natural gas through the Persian Gulf. So you're talking about all of the world's energy, or a great percentage of the world's energy, coming through that strait. It's an important piece of land, and it's well patrolled. As you mentioned, the Fifth Fleet is there, of course. And you're looking at what's happening strategically, economically, and politically in that area. And so you think about what is up. The crude oil is up. We're heading into the driving season, right, July 4th for sure. And oil prices look like they're headed up. Uh, I, you know, we were concerned about the Defense Secretary Pompeo coming out and, and for sure blaming Iran on it. Now, they've said, you know, they, they didn't do it. All right, let's move past that because it certainly is an issue. It certainly is a concern. But I think as big as anything is this what's coming up is the FOMC meeting, the Fed meeting, coming at the end of this month, June 28, June 29. And everybody will recall we talked a lot about what was happening at the end of the fourth quarter around Christmas Eve and the fact that the Fed had said they expected four rate hikes in 2019. In January, they quickly walked that back, and now we've seen a complete pivot from potential four rate hikes to likelihood, in fact, a, a significant likelihood that we'll see a rate cut. You start to think about Fed policy, and you start to think of its impact on the economy and on the stock markets. You think about what their mandate is. They're looking at employment. They're looking at inflation. So you think about the two things that are going on there. We had a bad jobs number in May, a bad jobs number in February. 
January. Some good numbers in between, but some revisions downward. So employment is... Yeah, the job. When you say bad jobs number, they expected 180,000. It came in at 75,000, so right. far lower than expected. Start looking at what's normal. I mean, the normal jobs report is around a quarter million jobs added per month. So that number was significantly lower than that. The other side is inflation. We're not seeing inflation, and even if you do see a spike in oil prices, which would translate to gasoline prices, it's not beyond that two percent that has been the target inflation rate for the Fed. So you look at does the Fed have a mandate right now to change the interest rate environment on? On the short end, which would affect things like mortgages and bonds and all those kinds of things that go into that. And let me just jump in, because one of the things that they're facing is what's called an inverted yield curve, and it has been a precursor to a recession. Now, in this scenario, that's not exactly what we're seeing, because we're seeing money, we're seeing capital come over, from, particularly from Europe, and they are driving down the short rate. So they're driving down the longer rate, I'm sorry. And so the Fed is in a position not to invert the yield curve, so they may be forced to cut the rate. It's uh, just because of that reason alone. Well, for sure. And when you start thinking about the big R word, a recession, we don't see that coming. You look at GDP as being a measure of where would you see a recession, negative GDP, negative growth. We had a 3% growth rate in the first quarter of the year, 3% growth rate again in the second quarter of the year. But we don't expect to see that growth rate continue into the second half of the year. Probably a little bit more modest, one5 2% growth rate. But that's still positive growth in the economy, and that is supportive of the stock markets going forward. be interesting to see, Dave, what the Fed does, not at their June meeting, but their July meeting or their September meeting, and as you get into the end of the year, how many rate cuts could we possibly get? A 95% chance that we will see a rate cut in 2019. We're going to take a quick break. Mark and I are coming back. Quick reminder, our website is AnnexWealth.com. Head there, click the Get Started button, and get going on that free portfolio review. Back in a bit, you're listening to Money Talk on WTMJ. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. And we're back. Money Talk for Saturday, June 15th. I'm Dave Spano. Joining me is Mark Oswald. You know, there was a couple of IPOs this week, and you know the one that came out uh, on Friday, as a matter of fact, yesterday, was Chewy. And the, for those who, who don't know, because I know it well in my house because my daughter is a Chewy expert, what they do is they it's a site that you can buy things for dogs and, every, and cats, and, and everything from food to medicine and so on and so forth. Uh, it came out. PetSmart had owned it. They rolled it off. They picked up, I believe, almost a billion dollars out of this roll-off, but another good IPO that came out. We start thinking about IPOs, initial public offerings. It's a company coming public for the very first time in this particular case. And when you start to think about this company, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we talk a lot on this show about people living longer and longevity of people. Pets are living longer because more people are putting money into pets. They're putting right? money into medical procedures and, and life-saving procedures for pets. That doesn't happen in my household, but, you know, for a lot of people. You open the door and just, <laughs> the dog doesn't nah, come back. Not, not quite not that true. cruel, but the fact is is that this company, you know, when you start thinking about their sales, their sales have been fantastic, and, and about 60 or 70% of their sales, what I'm being told, is autofill. That means people are getting their stuff month after month after month. Your dog eats the same amount every month, so you get the box of whatever it is or the bag of whatever it is. So a really stable business model came out at $22 a share and quickly traded about 60% higher than that. 
that. So could it go higher? We don't know. But it's really interesting, Dave, when you start thinking about investing versus trading. You know, a lot of times traders are looking at these IPOs and trying to capture that short-term movement in a stock. A lot of times when these things come out, then there's a lockup period where the insiders that own those shares can't sell them for 180 days or something like that. And then you start to see the insiders start to sell those shares and that price come back to the IPO price a lot of time. Doesn't always happen. Nope. Sometimes it happens, but you know, a lot of big companies have come public and, and had and that happen. And there's more to come. Peloton, Slack, iHeartMedia, these are all companies that are going to come out in the second half. And as we know, we had a number of big ones that have come out, you know, as importantly or as as famously is Beyond Meat. Uh, and we talked a lot about that, about it's a meat alternative. You know, you think about uh, putting the veggie burgers that we used to have years ago that didn't taste very good. These have come out and they're they're a plant-based meat, Mark. And, I, and it's you're looking at the protein, really trying to replace the protein of meat. And what they're taking is the animal out of the equation, taking the protein itself from and, the plant. And that's coming from peas. That, that's It's coming from peas and right. beet is what I'm understanding. Yeah, the beets and, give it the juice. Yeah, It's just it's really crazy. interesting, isn't it? The, the, that's the, not your the, thing. You're a meat and potatoes. Well, I am. And it's a circle of life. You know, mashed up peas and mashed up beets was something I had on when I had a, a bib and no teeth. And, yeah. and now you're headed back there. <laughs> you're definitely heading too. back right. that direction. But, you know, when you start thinking about that company, not only is it Beyond Meat and other companies like that, but now Tyson, which is the largest distributor of meat in the United States, has come out with their own product. You start to think about three big players in this space right now, and you start to see these things in TGIFs, and I think in Wendy's in, in Canada, they're sold as well. So there's a lot of different companies that are getting in on this, and we'll see what happens with a company like that, but it is now trading at six times with the initial public offering price, so people who got those shares early have certainly benefited. Yeah, up 150% in 25 times its revenues, which is unbelievable, $5 billion. And so you look at it and say, is there enough vegetarians and vegans out there? You know, there's only 3 to 5% of Americans who identify as that, if you will, but there's a bigger market than, than that because you think about what is worldwide, and it's a multi-trillion dollar market worldwide that maybe they can participate in this as well. Well, the other problem that this company has, of course, is it's too expensive. I mean, it's more expensive to get the non-meat than it is to get the meat. And for a lot of people, myself included, until I want to put one of these things on the grill at Lambeau over at Miller Park, I'm just not probably a buyer of this product. But as you said, I mean, there are people out there that are certainly gravitating in this particular direction. It is interesting to see companies like this. Going back again to the idea of an IPO, Dave, for a lot of people, you know, it's nice to watch. It's a fun story and all that kind of stuff. But you but, know, but most people don't know that they really can't get the initial price. That's right. They, when it starts to trade in the secondary market, they can get it. But, but you know, in 30 seconds, how do you get the IPO? Well, you have to be part of the syndicate. So you put a, together these group of investment banks. Goldman Sachs, Robert Baird, whoever it might be, and they have shares, and those shares go to mutual funds and other institutionals. And so you and I and the investors that are out there have a difficult time getting our hands on these shares. We're buying them in the secondary market, as you pointed out, when they've already increased by the 40 or 50 or 60 percent. Exactly. So let's take a break. Stick around. Up next is Deanne Phillips with some things to think about when it comes to debt in retirement. Go to AnnexWealth.com and hit the Get Started button. And remember, you can sign up for the Axiom. Our weekly newsletter, where parts of this show are in there as well. Back in a bit, this is Money Talk on WTMJ. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. 
Know the difference? It's team, it's tech, it's trust. Annex Wealth Management team made Deanne Phillips here. She's a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, CFP, CDFA, Director of Client Learning and Development. Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm good. I want to ask you about debt in retirement and what you've seen and what you feel is the best approach. This has been in the news a whole lot more. Right. So what we're seeing is older Americans carrying bigger loads of debt into their post-work years than in the past. And, you know, one of the biggest reasons is that fewer Americans have actually paid off their mortgages. And also we're, we're seeing more families that had kids later in life and they're helping their children with, with college, thus taking on more student loan debt also. Yeah, I saw that 40% of retirees say that paying off debt is a priority of theirs. 30% need to get at credit card debt, 11% working on consumer debt like medical bills or even student loans like you mentioned, and 9% still have mortgages. It makes sense. You say that people got going later and they helped their kids, so they're carrying that debt farther. So I think it's really kind of a generational thing about being debt-free too. So we think about, Danny, you and I are colleagues you know, here at Annex, but also about the same age, so same generation. But our parents, we think about our parents and their generation or the greatest generation certainly was told, get out of debt, pay off your house as soon as possible. But that was also a generation that didn't move. They didn't right size. This is a mobile generation coming up who's retiring right now. So we have 50, 60 year olds. I had a 70 year old ask me, can I still get a mortgage? The question is uh, a good one. And the answer is it depends. Now you have to have current income usually, usually to get a mortgage. They want to see that. So if you're on the cusp of retiring and thinking, gosh, I'm going to enter in to my retirement with a mortgage, see your, your banker, your credit union or whatever, and talk to somebody before you retire just to manage the income and the expectations on that. But yeah, they will. If you qualify, they will give you a mortgage, even if it goes into your 90s and beyond. And sometimes, again, this is a math question, Danny, sometimes the math actually works in your favor to have that debt if it's good debt at a low interest rate. So it's not like the old days, somebody in their 50s, if they still got a mortgage that should concern them, it's okay? Yeah, not necessarily. So I think that the the real estate boom and bust really taught us not to put our current use real estate on our balance sheet. And what I mean by that is, you know, we all have to live somewhere at some point. So as a financial planner, we tend to say, yeah, let's take our current home unless it is a way oversized home where we know we're going to downsize and we have a lot of equity built up into it. That might be a different story, but let's take that really off our balance sheet and let's, uh, because we always have to live somewhere. And certainly knowing numbers as you approach retirement is important. You've said this before. I mean, this is a cash flow thing. Here comes your math. It, it, you're right. It is all about math. See, there is a place for algebra in the world, Tanny. It's a math question from how much should I put away into my 401k? How much should I save? Is my company matching, first off? Or should I be saving elsewhere? Should I be doing a Roth? Should I be doing a spousal IRA, a contributory IRA for my spouse who's not working? So these are all math questions and cash flow questions. You know, sometimes when we hear the word budget, we think, oh, it's kind of a dirty word. Um, a lot of people we hear from entering into retirement say, I've never really looked at my cash flows. It's just always worked. But we like to say that there's a psychological difference when you enter into retirement because all of a sudden you've been putting away for yourself into this bucket where you've been taught, don't touch it. It's for retirement. Now, all of a sudden, you're turning on a paycheck from that resource because the place where you worked isn't paying anymore. You've retired, right? And you have to get your mind around psychologically the fact that it's okay to pull from there. 
And for a lot of people, that is a difficult psychological leap. And one of the ways to help bridge that is by taking a look at your expenses and dividing them into two categories. One is, this is the bucket of, this is what I have to have to live on. These are my property taxes, my utilities, my cell phone, my, one guy said Spotify is a necessity. I love it. Okay, whatever is in your bucket of, I have to have money for this. And the other bucket is my fun bucket. This is my travel bucket. Very important in retirement. I'm not discounting it. But they're also discretionary. And what I mean by that is, if you say, in retirement, Danny, I want to spend $7,000 a year for five years to travel. And let's say I were to retire on this last December 23rd and December 24th, mm. the bottom of the market hits. If I have those separations of the buckets and I know I've got cash flow coming in to take care of my have tos, I'm not so worried. I don't feel like, oh, I have to go back to work. I think, well, maybe in that travel bucket, I don't spend 7000 this next year. Maybe I only spend four. I'm okay psychologically. I've heard our planning department say this a number of times. Well, depends on how the plan goes. And we do, we can alter plans, run it up against the plan, see what the success rate could be. It, that's absolutely right. So life isn't linear, so neither is financial planning. When I started 23 years ago with this, we used to literally produce big, thick books, hand them to people, say, we'll keep yourself on file for seven years. If anything changes, let us know and we'll rerun all the paper. Financial planning has changed so much over the past few decades. So now it's interactive. We use state-of-the-art software that's interactive in front of our clients. So if somebody says, gee, I wonder what my plan would look like if I actually retired a little earlier, within 30 seconds, they can know. If you need somebody to help navigate this through, we know somebody. We know a comprehensive financial planning partner who's a fiduciary, and that would be us, Annex Wealth Management. Yeah. That would be us, and we have so many certified financial planners that all work on a team as to our clients' benefit uh, to really handle all the different questions. We're a big think tank. And that is the good news. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me, Danny. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference. It's team, tech, trust. Time for Ask Annex. If you've got a question for us, head to AnnexWealth.com and look for the Ask button. We get back to everybody, and some of them we use on air. Our first is from Russ, Mark, who talks about a stock that had hit a high and trying to get back. And he writes, my tech stock hit a high and I expect it to get back. Is that a good thing? And that's funny because, you know, that's one of these investor behavior rules that we talk about. That's called anchoring. But we see a lot of investor behavior that we have to help with. Well, certainly you think about, you know, you get vested in something. You buy a stock that you loved at one point in time and it gets hit for whatever reason. And it's difficult for some people to say it was a bad idea because you've got to look in the mirror and say, hey, that was a bad idea. So some people hang on to stocks too long because of the fact that they don't want to take a loss. Sometimes capital losses can be good, because especially you can balance them against capital gains and if you can take the proceeds and buy a better stock. Yeah, so you, you sell a bad stock for a better stock. But you know the, the idea of the human brain doesn't want to lose something, so they don't want to lock that loss in. So loss aversion is really part of this. And you know it causes these investors to overweight uh, a particular issue, and then they get stuck. But you know we get people come in all the time, and they've inherited some Wisconsin Energy or whatever it is, some telephone stock, and they go, I don't want to sell that. In the meantime, other parts of their portfolio are doing very very well. And really, that's one of our jobs is to walk people through that and help them through investor behavior. It certainly is. When you start thinking about our experiences in in this industry, Dave, now both coming up on 30 years or better than 30 yeah, years. Come, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm coming. I'm a little short on you. Years, so yeah. the fact is, is that we've had experiences 
And I'll remember a story back from the, about 2008, and we had a woman that came in, and she owned bonds in a particular bank that she just loved, and right. she was not going to sell these bonds. Yeah. And no doubt that it was a core part of her portfolio. It was a little company called Lehman Brothers. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, of course, that didn't work out, unfortunately. And those were a big part of her bond por- portfolio. So uh, these things happen. Let's try to squeeze another question in. And Phil writes, can Annex help with assisting for a family with special needs child? That's a challenging situation. Well, one of the things that we obviously believe in is estate planning and family planning. And when you start thinking about special needs children, there's all kinds of things that have to be done. Because if something happens to you and you have a special needs child, what's going to happen to that child if you're no longer there to care for that person? So our estate planning attorney, very in tune to this, and our circle of estate planning attorneys that we work with, these are topics that we can handle. It is something to think about in trying to make sure that your financial plan considers everything during your lifetime and after your lifetime. So let's talk about that for the estate planning attorneys who are listening and for our clients. We have an estate planning attorney. We have an estate planning attorney on staff, and that is a service that we provide to our clients, but we don't draft the documents, and I think that's an important distinction. It is, because we keep those things arm's length. Our our interpretation of documents and all the things that we do in the estate planning arena is separate from the drafting of those documents. So we bring in yet another attorney who does the drafting, and we've got a network of people that we've vetted, that we've negotiated some favorable pricing with so that we can have documents created for people, health care powers, financial powers, trusts, revocable and irrevocable trusts, all those things that go into that that can really form a really good financial plan and an estate plan. So those are drafted outside the building. They come in to our estate planning attorney who then looks at them and says, yes, this does fit within the framework of your financial plan as you've described your goals to us, and then we're communicating it back to the client. It's a very seamless process. And if you don't think you need estate planning because you're not uber wealthy, Everybody needs estate planning to a certain extent. You need to have a will. You need to know what's going to happen in the event that you get sick. Who's going to make decisions for you if you can't make decisions for yourself? There are a lot of pieces that go into estate planning. It's not just about estate taxes. It's about estate planning and planning for what happens if you're no longer here. And, Mark, real quickly, if someone wants to get started, what do they do? You go to our website at AnnexWealth.com and hit that Get Started button. Dave, you know, from the beginning, we've believed in two things as core pieces to what we offer. Number one is that free portfolio review. We decided to do it for free, even though the fact that we're putting a lot of professionals on your portfolio to make determinations about overlap and what do you own and what's your asset allocation, because we believe so strongly in it. Wherever your portfolio is today, we'd like to analyze that for you, give you a framework of where you are today. The other piece is that framework for a financial plan. Wherever you are today, you're at point A. Wherever you want to get to, that's point B. We can help you do that. Put together at least the beginning framework for a financial plan. Those are the two things you get from us for free, no obligation. Go to our website at AnnexWealth.com, hit that Get Started button, and we'll be in contact with you next week. So that's Ask Annex. Remember, you can send us a question at AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask button up next, by the way, is our estate planning attorney, Jill Martin, who heads the estate planning department, and she'll be covering the wild story of Aretha Franklin's estate battle. That's next on Money Talk. You're listening to WTMJ. Time is money. Make the most of yours with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. This is a team segment coming from our estate planning department at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Jill Martin. Thanks, Danny. Hey, estate plans, important. There have been a bunch of 
high-profile cases in the news that have reminded us of that fact, right? Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the Aretha Franklin estate. What a mess. Okay, she died, and we heard there was no will. Then there appeared to be three. Somebody found two in a cabinet. They were handwritten and signed, one from June 2010, the other from October of 2010. One was found in a couch. Hard to read. It contains strikethroughs and edits. That's from 2014. It goes to a hearing in a week. What a mess. Absolutely. That's why estate planning is so important to make sure that it's not left to finding random things in random places as you clean out a house. I've got to ask the naive question. When it comes to a will or estate plan, isn't the most recent one the one that decides the estate? So the answer to that is yes. If, there's a big if there, it has to be properly executed. So just because you wrote a will by hand and signed it doesn't mean it's valid. Um, That's what we call a holographic will, when you handwrite your own will. In the state of Wisconsin, you have to have two independent witnesses also. And Wisconsin actually doesn't recognize handwritten wills, even if they're witnessed. Because I would think that, and you hear this all the time, right? It'd be the case where a care worker convinced somebody who was maybe not of the right mind that that left them everything. Absolutely. Right. And that's why witnesses are such a key factor. And handwriting, A, it can be hard to interpret. It doesn't have the right buzzwords or the language that we need. And so they're very hard to interpret and understand. So Wisconsin's generally taken the stance that they're not recognized. And then the lawyers get involved. And I'm looking at you, attorney. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's talk about wills and estate documents stored in cabinets found in couches. So as an estate attorney, you got to be shaking your head. Where are we supposed to keep these things? So there's a couple of places that I would recommend. Obviously, if you have a fireproof safe at home, whether it's got a key or a combination lock or even a fireproof cabinet, like file cabinet, that's really the greatest place because you want them to be accessible. Um, Safe deposit boxes, that's generally what people thought of previously, but the problem with that is is it's really limited on who can get access to that safe deposit box. So if all of a sudden you're not competent and your power of attorney needs to be able to access your safe deposit box, if the document's locked in that safe deposit box, the bank's not gonna let them in because they don't have any proof that you're the power of attorney. What if it's digital? What if you store it on the cloud? Is that a valid document? So it can be. So a lot of things today, they will recognize copies, right? So when you go to the bank and you say, I'm going to be power of attorney for dad, if you've got a copy of the original, that's generally going to be sufficient. So if you had the original and you scanned it and put it up there, that would count? Correct. Because you can find it then, right? And and at Annex, we offer, we have have the the vault through e-money that a lot of our clients use to keep those copies handy and easy to access. But again, making sure that You've got copies. Also, giving copies to anyone you name in those documents in those roles. So give your trustee a copy. Give your executor a copy. Give your powers of attorney copies of those documents. So if and when they need to act, they've already got them. Joe Martin heads up our estate planning department at Annex Wealth Management. Let's get back to this Aretha Franklin estate. So this is going to be a huge amount of back and forth with the attorneys in the state of Michigan. And it's going to be expensive. And it's another compelling reason to make things 
make sure that things are buttoned up properly. Is each state different? Is Wisconsin completely different than Illinois, completely different than Michigan? I wouldn't say completely different. There's variations. Every state has their own probate code and general estate planning rules and guidelines and laws. So they're all kind of just different species of the same animal. Um, But it's really something that you need to know the laws where you live and where you make your estate plan, and then also the laws of the state where you die. I saw in one of the cases, like Aretha Franklin had four children. The oldest had special needs, and she had specific instructions for him, at least in one of the wills, including the oldest child's father could not control any of the money. Do you see stuff like that? You do, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely planning that's done, making sure that, A, who do you want to get what, but who do you not want to have access to things happens a lot of the time, too. Um, So it's really important to plan. You know, special needs planning is huge. Making sure that you're not disqualifying people from benefits is a critical piece. In reading about this case, I saw a very interesting thing. Now, people might inherit money, but they're also liable for the debts of the deceased. And Aretha apparently still owes $6.3 million in back taxes and a million and a half dollars in penalties. So kind of, okay. right? So what happens is, is when someone dies with debts, the first thing that's going to happen is, is the assets of their estate are going to be used to pay those debts, right? So Aretha has... $80 million worth of assets, supposedly, right? So $8 million, that's, okay. that's a tenth, right? So what's going to happen is, is all of the debts and expenses need to be paid before any of the beneficiaries inherit. So it's not like, you know, you, you pass away and you leave a $5,000 credit card bill and your kid suddenly is now liable for that. It doesn't work quite like that. So, Jill, this goes on and on. Now, I just read that there's a battle with Tom Petty's estate. His daughters are suing his second wife for control of the estate. And should we say it again, you got to get a plan, and it really should have an estate plan. You do, but Tom Petty actually did have an estate plan. He had a pretty good one, from what I understand. But what it was is he made his... He didn't have clarity in the language. And so it was, he made his second wife the trustee, but the document provided that she had to have input from his two daughters in terms of business dealings and things that they were doing with his, you know, royalties and all those types of things. Well, does that mean that they're co-trustees with her so that all three of them have to make decisions or does she just have to get input? So the language and the documents weren't clear. And that's why having a great attorney work with other attorneys, whether it's at Annex or it's having someone else in their firm do a double check or a second look at documents is really, really important. Do it. Do it. Joe Martin heads the estate planning team at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for thanks for joining us. This is fun. Absolutely, Danny. W277CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studio, this is News Radio WTMJ. Don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. And we're back. Money Talk for Saturday, June 15th. Website is AnnexWealth.com. Head there today. Hit the Get Started button, and you're on the way. Speaking of being on the way, there has been a lot of talk, of course, about fiduciary standard. And the SEC came out with something this week that we thought kind of missed the mark, but who are we to uh, challenge the SEC, right? Well, for sure. I mean, this has been something that's been going on for a lot of years. I was thinking about this when it came out this week. The idea of an investment advisor, the idea 
value of a fiduciary investment advisor comes as a part of the 1940 Advisors Act. That's 80 years ago. It wasn't until 1963 that the courts started to rule in favor of investors as to what is a fiduciary and what's not a fiduciary. And largely, we've left it to the courts to make that determination as this thing has evolved. Now you get Dodd-Frank in 2008, and you get this regulation that says, go ahead and make a standard for a fiduciary standard of care. And that was part of the, the 2008 crash. Dodd-Frank came after that debacle, and they came out with this. That's for sure. They said, go ahead and do it. Right, and it was the mandate. 2008, my friend. This is 10 years ago now, and so you start thinking about what happened this week. Is this going to be the end all? You shouldn't need a regulation. We just shouldn't need a regulation. You should be able to say, treat people fairly, be honest. If you have a conflict, tell people what it is, and, and let them decide. Just make them informed. It shouldn't be, you know, all these, you know, different competing interests that fiduciaries have and fee-based people have and fee-only people have and then commission salespeople have. And that's the problem that you have and with And people it. are going to be confused by and it. And people are confused by it because when you get down to it at the end of the day, 80% of the people who are out there that are stockbrokers, think about it. Just imagine in your head, picture a stockbroker, right? And then picture an advisor, a lawyer, a fee-only fiduciary, or a doctor, somebody who's a fiduciary to you. Those are not the same people. When they have the registration, it's a simple examination for a stockbroker to go out and pass the investment advisor's test and then be able to go around and tell people that they're an investment advisor, whether they ever provide investment advisory services at all. We've got advisors here in the state of Wisconsin that if you go read their form ADV at the SEC website, which is the description of their business, they have no clients, they have no assets under management, but they call themselves an investment advisor. How are people not confused by that? That is a problem. Right. So we hope to continue to get some clarity on this because it's in the public interest for all the people that are listening today to understand the difference between a commission salesperson, a fee-based person, and a fee-only person. There is a difference between fee-based and fee-only. What you should be looking for is a fee-only fiduciary because that person then is legally compelled at all times to act in your best interest. And that would do away with 800 pages of regulation, mm-hmm. which is regulation BI. Treat people decent. B-I. Be honest. BI. BI. Right. Did I say BS? No, you did not. Just making sure. So that would be my takeaway for the day is looking at this regulation best interest. Maybe there's more to come. Hopefully it doesn't get watered down further because you should be able to have a simple standard that says be honest, treat people fairly, act in their best interest. And if you have a conflict, tell people what it is and let them decide from there. Yeah. So, you know, the, the real easy answer for for those people who are listening, is to ask that question: Are you a fee-only fiduciary? It's it's a simple question, either yes or no, or you know, are you going to sell us some uh, some of your own proprietary product? That's simple. It should be. And then the, the other piece of that, of course, is, you know, it, it's nice to get a handshake and a wink and somebody goes, yeah, I'll be your fiduciary. Get it in writing. And we've said that on the show so many times, is when people come in and become clients at Annex Wealth Management, we enter into an agreement. Not because we're trying to bind you to a contract. If you want to leave, you leave. But the fact is, is that we want to set it in stone on paper and say, this is an agreement. Paragraph one says, we are a fiduciary at all times in this relationship. We agree to be your fiduciary. We have a duty of loyalty to you. We have a duty to you to act in your best interest at all times. That's a difference. If you're working with somebody who's not willing to make that written statement to you in writing about their fiduciary status, I would go and seek a different answer. Excellent. So that's it for this week. Uh, This is Dave Spawn. I've been sitting in for Danny Clayton, of course, who is much better at this job than I. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. This has been Money Talk on WTMJ. 
Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.